Welcome to the New City Fellowship West End Sermon Podcast. We hope and pray this message equips, empowers, and encourages you. And now, today's sermon. carrying the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we talked about uh, Jesus' real purpose and the real cost of following him last week. And so we're continuing along those lines when we come to this passage in verse 28 to 36. This is a a famous incident in the life of Jesus. How many of y'all have ever heard the word transfiguration? You ever heard that? This is a big deal in the life of Christ that we're looking at today. But this isn't just a history lesson, right? We're supposed to take away from that to live in a different way. The theme I'm calling the message today is I've been to the mountaintop. I've been to the mountaintop. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36. Here now the reading of God's word. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, and the two men who stood with him. And as the the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Verse 35, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, and kids, this is what's on your verse now. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This is God's word. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for what we've already gotten to talk about and sing and pray and hear from your word already. Please continue to guide us. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence with us here and and places where we're gathered online. Help us to understand these glorious words from the word of God and help us also to have power to be able to live in light of this incredible mountaintop experience that we find here in this passage. We pray that you would change us in the midst of that so that we would be a different people when we leave this place than we were when we came in. And we pray that our community would be loved to a greater degree because of what you do in your people in this time. And all of this we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Now I've told you guys, one of my favorite TV shows of all time is The Jeffersons, right? Have have y'all seen that? 
Ask your parents about it if you don't know, all right? You, you can look it up on YouTube or on TV Land or something like that. It's, it's playing all the time. And it's, I mean, hilarious show, right, about George Jefferson, the little guy with the big mouth who, who goes through all of this stuff and he, he becomes a dry cleaner and he moves to a deluxe apartment up in the sky, right? But, but one of the things, in, in addition to those shows being funny, a lot of times they would bring out some amazing, serious things and take serious looks at very real things in real life. I remember one episode in particular, they did kind of a flashback episode. So, so in the setting of the story, George owns like seven of these stores and he lives in the deluxe apartment in the sky. But they went back about 15 years earlier when he only had one store, his first store. And it was in a rough part of New York City and he was living, I think he was living next to Archie Bunker at the time. That's some suffering right there. But they have the, the, the one store, and what happens one night is they're getting the store ready. They're, they're getting it ready to open, and a brick comes through the window of the store. And George is trying to figure out what's going on. There's a crowd of people rushing up and down, and there's bricks going through lots of windows on that street. And George grabs somebody and says, what are you doing? What's going on? And the person says, didn't you hear? They killed him. They killed him. It was April the 4th, 1968, in the story. He's talking about the death of Martin Luther King Jr. And in the story, even though it's, it's a TV show, they're depicting what actually happened. In many of the cities, as people are so upset about what happened. And in that story, um, George and, and what's his name? Wheezy, what's, what's her name? Um, Louise, right? And their son, Wheezy, right? I remembered her nickname. And Lionel, their adult son, they're talking and they're so, they're mad and they're, they're trying to express what's going on and, and they, how do they respond? What do they do? And, and finally they're in their apartment and they're just talking and, and, and Louise says, you know what, George is right. It's going to be all right. We're going to persevere. We're going to get through this. We're going to keep on going. We're going to make it as a people. And she turns on the radio, right? They don't have a TV even. So she turns on the radio and they play the ending of the speech that Martin Luther King gave that very last night before he was killed. And I'm going to read the part here, just at the very end. Nobody can say it like him, but I just want to read these powerful words. He said, we got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And the people start to applaud because they get what he's talking about. And he says, I don't mind. I don't mind like anybody. I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not worried about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. He says, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And everybody erupts and he, and he sits down. But in that episode of the Jeffersons, they let that in. And it's just quiet. And the show ends and you can see their faces 
as he's talking because you can see all of them, they, they've gone through struggle, right? And they're hearing that message of hope that there's struggle, but, but there's going to be, we're going to persevere, we're going to see the end. And that's how the episode ends for that day. Now, I don't know if you notice in the, story, in the service today, there have been a couple different themes in the call to worship. We had a, verses from the same psalm that talked about glory, right? The glory of the Lord, the King of glory. Let the King of glory come in. But then in prayer time, the DJ led, we also talked about suffering. And both of those things are here together. And both of those things come out in this passage. Now here in the passage, there's three of them, right? Peter and James and John, who end up going up to the mountaintop with Jesus in that setting. But what we find here in the passage is this is not just for those three disciples. And it wasn't just for the 12 disciples. It is for every disciple of Jesus Christ. We've all, in a sense, got to go up to the mountaintop and be able to behold Jesus Christ for who he is so that we can walk in following him as his disciples. So is it all right? Can we go up the mountain today? We're going to go up the mountain together. Is that all right? Is that all right up in the balcony? We're going to go up to the mountain today. You're already further ahead because you're in the balcony. But let's start. One of the things that we do, he shows us really three things that we have to behold about Jesus. And the first is the glory of Jesus. Behold the glory of Jesus. Go back to verse 28, and it says, after these things, after these sayings. What are those sayings? Do you remember what DJ pointed to last week? Right, remember, he was talking about Peter's confession. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, right? You're the son of God. And then what happened after that? Jesus, for the first time, predicts his own death. And then what happened after that? Do you remember? What did DJ tell us? He talked about the cost of following Jesus, right? If anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross daily and what? Follow me. So those are the sayings. And here it says that after that, he took Peter, James, and John and went up on the mountain to pray. Verse 29. And as he was praying, now let's try and picture this, right? As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. Can you imagine that? And his clothing became dazzling white. And Mark's gospel says it became whiter than any human could do. You could have Clorox all out, out the wazoo, but you could not make it as white as it is here. This is something that only God could do. And, and so where do, does this sound familiar? This is interesting. Does it sound like anything you might have seen in the Bible before? Anything in the Old Testament? If you go all the way back to Exodus chapter 34, Moses, you remember him? Anybody heard of Moses? Moses goes before God and he's there meeting with God and he's going to come back and, and share with the people what God has told him. But Moses comes and the people are like, Moses, get away. You know why? Do you remember? Because he's shining. He's so bright from being in the presence of God. And so Moses, when he comes with the people after being with God, he has to wear a veil because he's so bright from being in the presence of God. So it's similar to this, but it's also different. 
Because the glory that Moses had, it came from God, right? So he was reflecting the glory from the outside. But what about Jesus? Jesus ain't reflecting glory from the outside. Jesus is radiating glory from the inside. It's coming from within him. Do you see the difference? Moses was reflecting God's glory. Jesus is the son of God reflecting his glory. That's the glory of Jesus. And then look at what happens, verse 30. Speaking of Moses, they, they meet up with Moses. Behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Right, kids, y'all know stories about Moses and Elijah from the Bible? Amazing, amazing people in the Bible. And here they're representing, probably Moses is representing what? The law. And Elijah is representing the prophets. And it's a way of saying that the whole Bible is all pointing to who? To Jesus. It's all pointing to him. It says he appeared in glory. And now what we have in Luke's gospel is Luke is the only one who actually tells us what they're talking about, right? This account is in Matthew and Mark, but Luke is the only one that tells us what they're talking about. So verse 31, he tells us, who appeared in glory, go back, go back again, who appeared in glory and he spoke of, and what does it say? His what? His departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now you say, all right, big deal, pastor. Do you know the Greek word that's translated departure there? Do you know what it is? It's exodus. Where we get exodus from. It says they are there talking with Jesus about what? His exodus. Now it's using that word exodus in a couple different senses, right? On the one hand, it is looking back to the Old Testament and how God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, right? That's the exodus, the amazing power of God in redeeming his people from slavery. That's one meaning of exodus. What's the other meaning of exodus? It's a departure, but it's a departure not from Egypt, it's a departure from life. It's describing how he's gonna die. That's his exodus. And so what Luke is saying here is Jesus' exodus is what brings about our exodus. Because Jesus departs from this life to die for us. We can have the exodus of being freed from slavery, not just to Egypt, but from slavery to sin and Satan and death itself. Because of Jesus. Now go to the last verse, verse 32. And it says, now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. Y'all ever been heavy with sleep? It, it's all right. You're like, Pastor, I am right now. But, hey, look, I understand it's Sunday afternoon. It's all right. No, I'm not throwing any shade at you. It's all right. But look at this. When they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. This is the glory of Jesus. So what do we, what do, we do to apply this? First of all, just step back for a second and behold his glory. Behold the glory of Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews says he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That's who Jesus is. 
He's worthy of all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. Just step back for a second. And if you don't do anything else, just behold the glory of who Jesus is. And then here's the other thing before we go on, and that is to embrace the tension. Right? What what have we been talking about all service? We've been talking about glory and what else? Suffering. And they're both present in this passage. And so why, why do I say embrace the tension? I don't know if anybody ever feels like, as you're watching the news, as you think about some of the tragedies that DJ mentioned, things going on all around our world in, in Akron, Ohio, in, in, in um, Chicago, in Ukraine, wherever it is, and you go, God, what you doing, man? Are you still there? Do you still care? And you're wondering, how do these things exist at the same time? How can there be glory and all this suffering? Maybe you're thinking about the suffering in your own community. Maybe you're thinking about the suffering in your own life. Maybe you're thinking about what you came in with this room, in this room with, which is weighing down your heart, the things that bring you to tears. And you wonder, how can that be true? How can you say that there's this glory and I'm still going through this suffering? They can exist together, right? They exist together in this passage. So we're going to say a little bit more about that as we go on. So this is the glory of Jesus. Let's keep going. The second thing that we want to look at is the godness of Jesus. The godness of Jesus. Now, what do I mean? Let's go to verse 33. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And I know we laughed when we heard that last part, right? Not knowing what he said. Because what do we picture, right? We think about, because it's summertime, we think about the cookouts with our aunt and uncle who will say anything just because they're uncomfortable with silence and you don't know what's going to come out of their mouth. And maybe that's what we picture here. But it's actually a little bit more than that. It's a little bit more than what's going on here. When it says, not knowing what he said, it's meaning that Peter says something incredibly profound, but he doesn't even realize it. It's just like when Pastor DJ talked about last week, the confession of Christ. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And he doesn't fully comprehend what he's saying. But he's right. Well, what's so deep about what Peter said here? Well, what what is it that he wants to do there in verse 33? He says, let us do what? Let's make three tents. Now, what is he thinking about? Is he thinking about going camping? What does he say? What does he mean by that? Another word for tent is booth or tabernacle. What's significant about that? If you go back to the Old Testament, what God did in his grace is he says, you know what? What I want you to do is build me a tabernacle so that I can come and meet with you there in that place. And so a tabernacle is a dwelling of God so he can meet with his people. And so Peter's like, all right, this is just like the Feast of Tabernacles. We're going to build these dwellings and we're going to be able to dwell together with God. And that's awesome. He's right. Now the problem is, he said, let's build three of them. He's equating Jesus with the other two. Now Moses and Elijah, they are fantastic dudes, right? Amazing. You got Moses, the Red Sea, 
Elijah on Mount Carmel, right? Those dudes had amazing um, instances with God on the mountains. They are amazing, right? They are great. But they're people just like us, sinners just like us. And Jesus is not in the same category or in the best cat of their category. You know, we have a, the conversation a, a, a lot around here about the goats, right? Who is the greatest of all time, right? Usually with basketball, you can put that picture up, right? People arguing, is it LeBron or is it Michael Jordan? Who is it? We could, I don't want to start a fight now in here, all right? Just, just relax. It's just an illustration. Now, I just found out a couple weeks ago, there's another goat debate that goes on. I don't know if y'all ever heard this. Can you put up that next picture? Yeah, that's, my, I, that's what I said. What? That's Michael Jackson and Chris Brown. That's not Chris Brown? What? <laughs> I'm serious. I heard people debating this and arguing and saying, well, Chris Brown, is, he's as good as Michael Jackson. I was like, man, y'all crazy. So I didn't know. I didn't know if that was a debate or not, but they're having this goat debate. But here in this passage, there is no goat debate. Jesus is not the best of many. He's one and only. He is fully man and he's fully God. What did John say in chapter one? The word became flesh and dwelled among us. Or you know what else that word is? Tabernacle. The same thing that Peter's saying here, or that Luke is saying here. Right, that Peter said. The tabernacle. Jesus is the tabernacle of God. He's the one who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grass. That's the godness of Jesus. Now let's keep going, verse 34. As he's saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And how did they respond? It says they were what? Afraid. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And then verse 35 comes. Kids, this is the verse. Y'all got your paper? This is it. This is a very important verse in this passage. And it says, a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Who said that? Who sang that from the cloud? Who? God, yes. Now think about what we've seen in the chapter already. In the beginning of the chapter, the people are saying about Jesus, this is Elijah, or this is one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, you're the son of God. Who has the last word about who Jesus is? God does. God says, this is who he is. This is my son. This is my chosen one. Listen to him. Now, kids, do you know what's so significant about that verse? You know what's wild about that verse? No? All right, good. I'm glad because I get to tell you about that. It's actually three images in that verse from the Old Testament that help us understand the godness of Jesus and just how great he is. Let's look at them real quick. First it says, this is my son. Where is that from? That's a quote from Psalm 2. And it's kind of got a double meaning. With Jesus, he's the son of God. But also, he's the Davidic king. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. 
How about the my chosen one? That's also from an Old Testament passage. It's from Isaiah 42, verse 1. Right? This is my chosen one in whom my soul delights. And there in that passage, you keep reading, it's talking about a figure in Isaiah called the servant of the Lord. And later we find out he's a suffering servant. Now what about listen to him? Who says that? Your parents. Right, right. But, but where in the Bible? Listen to him. That's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 18, where he's talking about a prophet like me, Moses says, is going to come listen to him. So all of this is telling us about who Jesus is. He is the son of God. He's the Davidic king. He's the chosen one. He is the servant of the Lord. He's the prophet like Moses. He's the suffering servant. That's all of who Jesus is. And so listen to him. About what? Well, what had he been telling them? About the cost of following him. To take up our crosses daily and follow him. And then later on, he's going to tell the guys, listen, guys, a student is not greater than the teacher. If they act like this towards me, they're also going to act like this towards you. And so listen to him. Be prepared. So don't be surprised when that opposition comes. It's a part of being a follower of Jesus Christ. This is the godness of Jesus. Now, what can we take away before we go to the last thing? And just kind of one, one idea that I want to lay here, and that is the takeaway here is to meet God in the tabernacle. Meet God in the tabernacle. And I'll explain what I mean. In one sense, first of all, that means meet Jesus. Because Jesus is the tabernacle of God. Maybe you're here in this room, or maybe you're online, and you're watching and you're, you, you're saying, I want to get close to God. I want to know God. How do I meet God? The way you meet God is through this one, Jesus Christ, who is the very tabernacle of God. Come and meet with him. Well, what about you say, I know him, Jesus. I know, I know Jesus, Pastor. What about for me? Well, one of the places where you meet Jesus is in your suffering. And in your weakness, one of the places that we go to tabernacle with Jesus is right in the midst of our pain. What do I mean? Well, let me back up for a second. Remember the verse John 1, right? That verse says, um, the word became flesh and made his dwelling or tabernacled among us. That word that's translated tabernacled, there's three times it's used in the New Testament. One of them is in John 1, chapter 14. Um, the second one, you can put that up. I think I have that, the Revelation verse. Yeah, Revelation 21, verse 3. Here's another place. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. That's the same word. He will tabernacle with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Now, on a side note, is there any promise of God that's better than that? Where God says, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. Amazing. He's going to dwell with you and allow us to dwell with him. But that's the second place we find the word. Oops. Do you know where the third place is? 
It's actually in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. It's in a strange place. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may what? Rest or dwell upon me. That's the third place. Now let's back up and see if we can figure out what he's talking about. Do you remember this passage? 2 Corinthians 12, a couple of verses before, Paul says, I have this thorn in my flesh. Do you remember that? And what was the thorn in his flesh? Nobody knows, right? It could be opposition from the outside. It could have been spiritual attack. It could have been physical ailment. It could be any of those things. But there's something in his life, and I want you to think, do you have anything like this? It's something in his life that he's saying, Lord, if you got rid of this, it would make my life so much better. Lord, if you took care of this, I would be able to serve you like never before. And so he did what you should do. He prayed with God. He prayed to God, take away the thorn in my flesh. He pleaded with God. Have you ever pleaded with God for something? God, take away this thing that's going on inside me. Take away this pain. Take away this hurt. Take away this situation that I'm in. Take away this, whatever it might be from the outside. Lord, take it away because if you do, then I'll really be able to live and follow you. But you know what God said to Paul? In essence, he said, um, no, I'm not going to take it away. Because I want you to understand that my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough. My grace is what you need. And so that's what happens in verse 9. And so Paul says, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses then, so that the power of Christ may rest or dwell in me. He's saying, if that's what it takes for me to get Jesus, bring it on. I it's not that he likes the pain, but he's saying, in that pain, in that suffering, in the hardship, I get more of Jesus. And if I do, then bring it on then I'll take it because there's nothing else that I want more than him. And so this is what it means to tabernacle with him. Now let me say a, a, a qualifying word here. This is not a, uh, an excuse to put up with abuse or injustice. Because a lot of times people have misused the word of God and said, oh, you know, this is just the cross you have to bear. You know, God is meeting you in your weakness. You know, don't do that, don't do that. No. Paul's like, Paul wrote this, but he's also like, hey, man, I'm a Roman citizen. Y'all can't put me in, in chains. Come on, knock it off. He would complain. He would speak up against the injustice. So I'm not saying don't do that. I'm not saying don't speak against the abuse. Do that. Do stand against that. But what I'm saying is in the midst of whatever pain, Whatever it is that God, in his gracious sovereignty, has allowed to remain, you will find him and meet him in that place, whatever it is. This is part of the godness of Jesus. Now let's go to the last part. 
We've seen the glory of Jesus. And we've seen the, the godness. The last part, and we're going to end with this. And this is a shorter point. The grace of Jesus. What happens here at the end? Verse 36. It says, when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent. And they told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. And in fact, if you look in Matthew or Mark's gospel on the transfiguration, Jesus told them, look, don't tell anybody about this until after he's raised from the dead. And as you keep on reading, you understand why. Because it takes them a while to be able to grasp exactly what's happening there. But later on, they do. And here's an example of that. If you go to that next slide from Second Peter, I mean, First Peter chapter 1. This is same Peter. Here's what he writes. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then the next slide, verse 17. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. When? For we were with him on the holy mountain. He's talking about this. He got it then. But here's my question. How could he? How, how could he? Not just how could he write this, but as we think about it, how is it that he and, and James and John could come down the mountain and live? How is it that they can be in this cloud with the presence of God and they come down and they're still alive? Remember verse 35, I said, when the cloud came around, what happened? How'd they feel? They were what? Afraid. And you go back to Exodus in that passage. Moses is meeting with God and the people stay away from the cloud. They're afraid. Why? Because if they go there, they know they're going to die. Because they'll be in the presence of one who's holy. And they are unholy. And so how is it that those dudes can live? Oh, it's only by the grace of Jesus Christ. It's by the grace of Jesus that they can come down the mountain and live. It's by the grace of Jesus that you and I can come down from the mountain today and live and walk in Jesus. Why? Because the same Jesus who is, what did we say? He's the son of God. He's the chosen one. He's the prophet like Moses. He's the same Jesus who bridges the gap between a holy God and an unholy people. The same Jesus who is the servant of the Lord and who is the one who being in very nature God is the same Jesus who is the suffering servant, the tabernacle and temple of God, our great high priest, the sacrifice from sin, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the Jesus. Do you remember the voice from the cloud that said to Jesus at his baptism, you are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. But what this says is now through Jesus, he can look at you and say, you are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. All 
but because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Do you know the grace of Jesus today? Do you know the grace of Jesus today? At home, do you know the grace of Jesus? Do you know the grace of the one who gave his life? The righteous for the unrighteous. In order to bring you to God. Do you know the grace of the one who had no sin, but who God made to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God? Hurting person today, do you know the grace of Jesus that is sufficient for every hurt and every pain, for every weakness and every struggle? Do you know the grace of Jesus today? However you come, whoever you are, whatever you've done, behold Jesus Christ today. Behold Jesus on the mountain. Behold the glory of Jesus. Behold the godness of Jesus. And behold today the grace of Jesus Christ, that we might be disciples that listen to him and follow him. Let's pray. Thanks for listening, and God bless.